read Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13. And uh, <clears throat> I want to cover two Proverbs today, simply because of the length of the material for each one. They're kind of different subjects, but, uh, but we're going to do it that way tonight. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Let's consider these two Proverbs tonight. In Proverbs 13.11 here, we have another truth about wealth. We've had some uh, lessons here in Proverbs about wealth and uh, the right perspective on it. And, uh, and the truth that we're given here is important to understand for our happiness and for our stewardship in heaven. We all have a stewardship with everything that we have and everything we own. The various translations indicate to me that it must be that one English word doesn't quite convey the whole intent of the passage. And we run into that often in, in the Bible, uh, especially in Proverbs, it seems. The first phrase in, in our version, the New King James here, has dishonesty as the key word. The King James uses the word vanity, which has a much broader meaning. Uh, the ESV uses hastily, which lends credence to what the King James Version uh, puts it as, is vanity. Uh, the New American Standard has fraud, and the NIV has dishonesty. It agrees with this version. So uh, I want to ex- let me explain my thinking. We have vanity and hastily, preferred by some Hebrew scholars, and we have dishonesty and fraud by others. Well, so I think that it makes sense that perhaps there are elements of both of these things in the original language. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it seems to make sense that there probably would be because of these variations in translations. You see, wealth can be gotten hastily without dishonesty, but dishonesty and fraud are means ordinarily employed to get wealth hastily. Uh, However, we cannot purpose to get wealth hastily or quickly and be in the will of God. I want to show you that tonight. But let me say that a different way. It's not God's will for us to be in a hurry to be rich. I want to qualify this, and that is that to say that it's, uh, it's not that it's never right to come into riches quickly, uh, such as an inheritance, for example. Uh, but uh, we're not to set our sights on riches and, and let that be our goal in life. <laughs> Listen to these two verses, Proverbs 28:22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. 1 Timothy 6.9, a verse, of course, that I've often cited in this series, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. An ominous, an ominous thought, isn't it? As we've noted before, it isn't the riches themselves that are the danger, but our sinful trust in them, which which makes them an idol uh, for us, and also our sinful motives for possessing them, and that would be to consume them on our lusts and our desires for ease and pleasure, and other reasons like status in society, vainglory and pride, and, of course, much more. Uh, And it says 
In the next verse in 1 Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I also think that the rest of the verse lends credence to that broader interpretation that we get from the words vanity and hasty here, because the second part of the verse, to make it a true parallelism, it, it seems that it should point to an opposite, for it says, he who gathers by labor will increase. Now, the ESV says, whoever gathers little by little. And that's really what happens when a person gathers by labor. They don't get rich quick. They, they gather little by little, right? Well, this implies strongly that the one uh, <clears throat> that gets uh, wealth by vanity is one who is getting it by means other than labor. Uh, this is the kind of scripture analysis we need in order to address the matter of, of gambling and the lottery. Uh, the Christian and the lottery is a to topic that is uh, uh, sometimes debated amongst Christians. Is it uh, to answer somebody who says, uh, "Where in the Bible does it forbid me uh, forbid gambling?" Well, it isn't that there's an outright commandment that forbids gambling, but the Bible is very clear about any gain that we might obtain through gambling. It's, it's, it's wealth obtained through vanity. It's, it's what's described here in this verse. It, it is, it's gained hastily and without labor. Therefore, it's, it's not God's will. Uh, it's a violation of God's precepts and it falls under his curse. Proverbs 20, 26, 2 says, The curse causeless shall not come. But here we have a curse, as it were, in this verse, that's placed upon such activity by the word of God. It, it will not be blessed. Uh, it cannot be blessed because God says that it will not be blessed. Wealth gained by vanity will be diminished. Or by uh, Wealth gained hastily or by dishonesty will be uh, diminished. Now, so what good is anything anyway without God's blessing upon it? I want you to think about that just for a minute. What good is anything, anything? without God's blessing. Is there anything you can think of that's good without God's blessing? There isn't. Proverbs 1, says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And uh, this goes for all our endeavors. This includes the building of a business or a school or a church or a denomination or an association of churches or, uh, you know, a family. It goes for anything at all. If the Lord is not in it, then uh, they labor in vain that build it. And uh, and it uh, by God, it stands, and without God, it falls, whatever it is. I run a business, and I know, I'm aware, every day, I'm dependent upon God for that business to succeed. And I'm reminded of that continually. Um, uh, now, this can be perplexing at times, but... Uh, because you see other things, uh, you see uh, wicked regimes like the regime we have in China and North Korea and Iran, and we see them prospering, and we see them like there's, uh, you know, like th these are, you know, like they're being established by God. But um, but then we have to look at it, we have to look at it from God's word, and remember that God's word is always right. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at just those regimes I've mentioned. If you look at just back in history, just not all that long, and you look at the Axis powers of World War II, and you see how long that they were really in power, 
They were in power a long, long time before we ever got into war with them. And, uh, and, uh, and it did seem to pe- for people in that day the same way it seems for people in our day that why is God establishing Hitler? Why is God establishing Mussolini? You know, but, but really, uh, he, 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 he raises up wicked kingdoms, uh, and he's done that throughout history, hasn't he? Assyria, Babylon, and all that. God has allowed the wicked to prosper just to fulfill his purposes. The fact of the matter is, whatever we're involved in, we want God's blessing on it, and we want God to, 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 to use it in our lives. As, as we, want, we want God to use us for his kingdom and for us to be used by him in every way. And so it can be perplexing when we see the wicked prosper, but they're only prospering for a season. It's not that they have God's blessing on them. The simple fact is this, and that is that God runs the whole show, doesn't he? He runs the whole show. And I don't want to get involved in anything that the Bible teaches that will not have God's blessing. And that goes for stealing, murder, adultery. But that also goes for the pursuit of wealth that God has said he will not bless. Wealth gotten in this way, he will not bless, he says in this verse. Now, how much more should we avoid that which he says will be diminished, as it says here in our text? Matthew Henry says this, he says, That which is one ill will never wear well, for a curse attends it, which will waste it. That which is got by industry and honesty will grow more instead of growing less. It will be a maintenance. It will be an inheritance. And Charles Bridges says this. He says, God's blessing is upon Christian industry. And so far as it is good, he that gathereth with labor shall increase. Only let him remember that the security for his increasing wealth is the dedication of himself and his substance to the Lord. The ready acknowledgement that he he is that he is not his own, but God's property for God's glory. And then he quotes Swinock, who, who said, uh, "All that man can have, we have it on his condi- on this condition: to use it, to have it, to lay it out, to lay it down, unto the honor of our Master, from whose bounty we received it." I thought that was a, a really good statement. Let me quote George Lawson, what he says on this. He said, the blessing of God is not in that money which is gotten by stealing and cheating or by their polite substitutes, cards and dice, in other words, gambling, or by the exercise of professions prejudicial to the interests and morals of society. Uh, I want to examine that phrase that he makes here when when he says, uh, professions that are prejudicial to the interests and the morals of society. Let's let's think about this for just a moment. There, uh, I want to. We'll just I'll just mention some examples of professions that are prejudicial to the interests of society. Doctors. Doctors are good. Doctors are not prejudicial to the interests of society. But when doctors take up the cause of abortion then they're using something that would otherwise be good that is prejudicial uh, to, to society. What about doctors attempting to change a person from one sex into another? Again, uh, these kind of uses of their expertise are a perversion of uh, their practice, and God, God will not bless it. Lawyers. 
lawyers are generally good. But what about those that promote frivolous lawsuits? And not to mention those that gain large sums of money through fraudulent lawsuits. Uh, uh, and, and there are many lawyers that are engaged in that kind of activity. You see it on TV all the time. And down in Florida, there's a hard having a hard time getting home insurance for their for houses in Florida because there's so much fraud. These guys that come by and say, "We want to examine your roof," and then they 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 examine your roof and. Uh, and sometimes they'll even carry a ball-peen hammer up there and make sure they put some dents in there and say, we've got some hail damage and you had a storm come through here at such and such a day. When, when is there never a time we've ever had a storm come through? And so then they sue the insurance company and the insurance company ends up having to put a roof on for $45,000 that would ordinarily cost $15,000. And it's an epidemic in Florida. But I'm just giving that as an example. That's, that's a poor use of a person's law degree to, to that's that the using uh, they're using their profession in a prejudicial way uh, against society instead of for it. How about internet bloggers? There are many good internet bloggers, but what about those who make money by slandering good men and destroying churches? Uh, there's those that are out there, and through their sinful ways, they drag innocent people into their wickedness unknowingly, who are taken in by them. But they make money. Uh, by sensationalism, and the more they slander, and the more they, the more uh, uh, outrageous things they say when they slander people, the more hits they get. And every hit they get, they get more money from the people that pay for their, uh, that pay for the advertising on those uh, on those blog sites. Uh, computer programmers, they're mostly good, aren't they? But uh, how, how about all these internet scammers and all these people that are, that are experts in that that are scamming people? Uh, I've often thought if they'd only use their their uh, skill for the betterment of society, they'd, they'd probably make more money, and society would be better better off. Now, these are just just a few examples of people that could choose to use their expertise to be a blessing to society, but in some cases, instead, they choose to use their skill in a way, as Lawson says is prejudicial to the interests and morals of society, and it would fall under this ban here, wealth gained by vanity or through dishonesty or fraud. Um, so, but, but, of course, a much worse uh, condemnation awaits these that I've mentioned uh, than just the, the wasting of their money, right? They're going to have to answer to God. Well, Lawson then goes on to say, he said, therefore, we must not only be industrious, but show a regard for the public interest in that calling in which we labor. So a good question to consider is this. In what way do others benefit by what I do in life? Um, others uh, might benefit in some way by the calling itself, what we actually do. Uh, still others might benefit in what we're able to do for others with the money that we make from our callings. Charities, helping the poor, meeting various needs doing good works of all sorts, uh, uh, providing meaningful meaningful and honest employment for people. These are ways which uh, we can benefit society. So we see the principles of this verse applied in the New Testament. So I'd like for you to turn for a moment to Ephesians 4 and look at uh, just an example of this uh, as uh, Paul applies it here. In Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> he says, in verse 28, 
Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. You see, um, here we see that God not only commands us not to steal, but to work. Now, in saying to work with his hands, um, uh, it doesn't mean that the only legitimate work is to be done by, uh, you know, uh, manual labor. You know, of course, there are people that don't use manual labor. A preacher doesn't have to use manual labor, but he's, it's still what he does is labor. Um, but uh, but what is the end goal of this labor that, that uh, we're involved in? Is it a legitimate work? Uh, it, it is... Uh, uh, it is so that we we have something to give to him who has need. So the so as Paul is addressing these various things in Ephesians chapter four, tells him not to steal and that's a put off. Stop stealing. But what's the antidote to stealing? Well, it's giving. It's it's giving. But in order to give, we need to labor so that we have something in order to give. So um, so. Uh, uh, so, to be thorough, we must consider another way that sometimes wealth is gotten by vanity or fraud. And that's by robbing God. That is, uh, uh, not in the way that it was obtained, but in the way in which it is ill-used. That is, a person might obtain their wealth lawfully, but still be guilty of violating the principle taught in this verse in Proverbs by holding onto their wealth illegitimately by uh, robbing God. As it says in Malachi chapter 3, we see God's curse upon those who withhold their tithes and offerings. Matthew 3, verses 8 through 11, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So, so this is another way that wealth can be gained or held on to uh, illegitimately. So we see that our text here in Proverbs tonight not only applies to how we gain wealth, but how we retain it as well. Now, one more subject I want to cover that comes under this is uh, uh, that could save you a lot of grief, and that is this. And I've seen this on more than one occasion. I've seen Christians who lost significant amounts of their life savings because they violated this verse unintentionally. I think of uh, uh subject of stock market investments. Some would say that's like gambling. Uh, gambling. I, I disagree. Uh, but I also agree that you can do it in such a way that it amounts to gambling. Uh, a good investment advisor can help you to determine what level of risk best suits you in your particular investment strategy that fits your needs best. But if somebody comes along and promises you a return that's, three times higher than you would normally expect from a good investment, run away from it. Run away from it. It's not legitimate. I had an investment guy ask me one time, would you, would you like to, how would you like to, to make 20% on your investment? 
I said, no, I wouldn't. He was shocked. He said, what do you, I kind of, I interrupted his train of uh, salesmanship, you know. He didn't expect that answer. I said, no, I wouldn't. He said, well, 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 why? Well, why? I said, because that's illegitimate. I said, you can't make 20%. I said, there would be so much risk involved in a 20% promised gain that I said, I'm, I wouldn't want to be involved in something like that risky. And, uh, and so that's just something to keep in mind because these men I'm thinking of, these Christian men that I know of that lost large amounts of money were promised large, larger returns than what you would normally uh, expect from the markets. And, uh, and so uh, I actually did that once myself. When I was a young man, I got in, uh, involved in commodities, and uh, and I thought I knew something about the particular commodity I was investing in because I use it at my company. But I found out that the commodities market doesn't work like normal markets, and I ended up losing a significant amount of money on it. And, and it's, but 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 as soon as I realized that really what I was doing, I was violating this principle right here. I was trying to get wealth hastily. And so I lost a bunch of money hastily. I realized, you know, you're violating God's word, Al. What can you expect? And so I stopped it, and I haven't done it since. In fact, I got a pen. Uh, some of the some of you young people that's been through my Saturday classes. I don't know if there's any in here right now, but uh, when they were in my Saturday classes, they'd see a pen in a in a in my office in a in a uh, you know it's framed. It's framed in a glass frame. And uh, and I said, well, that, that pen cost me sixty five thousand dollars, and so uh, and so I promised I'd explain it to them when they turned eighteen, and so I did, and it had to do with that commodities investment. That was a that pen was a gift from my broker, and so uh, so I framed it like that. So, but I put it up there to remind me. You know, I see that pen, I say, yeah, Al, you can be a fool. You know, and so. But I'm just, I just, you know, I just throw this kind of advice in just because it's not like you're, 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 you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's not like you're some, uh, you know, terrible profligate that you're trying to make money quickly, but you are violating a, 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 a biblical principle when you're trying to make money fast. Uh, and, and, and you're going to smart for it. Uh, and, uh, and so I've known some that have. And it's just these get rich, uh, rich quick schemes. And some of them are very legitimate. And the commodities market is a very legitimate business. And if you use it for what it's intended for, uh, people that uh, are buying and selling uh, or like uh, for agriculture and, and, uh, and they're protecting their crops through, through how, they're, how the thing works, if you, if you use it the way it's intended for, it was set up in the first place, it's all legitimate. But you've got all these, uh, all these uh, people in there trying to make a fast buck in it. And, uh, and anyway, uh, those things are just not going to be blessed, and you need to realize that. So be careful what investment advice you listen to. So I think I beat this horse to death. Let's move on to the next verse. Uh, 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 verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Now, all earthly hopes turn to dust. No matter how much they may make our hearts sing while we possess them. Is that a true statement? They all turn to dust. Every one of them. No matter how much we love them when we have them. And, um, and, and most even, most even don't last very long at all. I think about a child at Christmas time and how they're so enamored with the presents that they've opened and then what within 
within hours, those things don't mean anything to them. And we can be that way too as adults, can't we? The acquiring of things in this world, and uh, and it really, uh, they really don't uh, they don't satisfy us. It isn't it isn't like uh, like it is. Uh, this is like this is the way it is with us with many earthly things, most earthly things. Now there are though other earthly things that bring us much satisfaction for a long, long time. I think about my wife, for example. Uh, but we must give them up also on account of uh, death or sickness. And I think of uh, men that I have known that have had a lot of uh, wealth and a lot of things. And uh, say uh, you take a man that's got a a house full of nice antiques and things that he's collected over uh, his lifetime, and you interview him while he's in the nursing home, and he realizes that he can never have those things ever again. He can never enjoy them ever again. In fact, these things actually even need to be sold to pay for his stay in the nursing home, and he just just everything is everything is gone. I think about my own my own dad and my own dad. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know he he. Uh, he really he lived basically for things and for pleasure and things. Uh, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a horribly sinful man or anything. But his life was really built around his things and his his pleasures and the things that he did. And I remember when, in his old age, when we had to put him in a home and everything. I remember his his life was just shattered. I mean, he had nothing. He didn't have. He had he had the money from the sale of his house, but he couldn't use it in the nursing home. He kept begging us to give him cash money in the nursing home. <laughs> I said, Dad, you can't spend it anyway. There's no way to spend it in here. They don't want you to have cash. And here he had all this money uh, in uh, in trust, but he you know to take care of him for the rest of his life. But he couldn't use it. He couldn't go out and buy a boat with it. He couldn't go out and buy a car. It was the first time in his 94 years of living that he ever had to live like that, and it was it was hard for him. Um, and so um, uh, think about the heart sickness that he had over these things. And I always thought if he really, if he loved the Lord and he, and he really, if the things of God were the things that made him happy, they couldn't be taken away from him, could they? You know, that happiness can never be taken away from you. The happiness of seeing your children uh, exercise faith while they're going under trials. You know, I've I've seen that with my kids and going through that now with Karen. That brings me so much happiness to see that. You know, that's the kind of stuff that nobody can take away from you. That's the kind of stuff that we're going to take with us to heaven. Our children that love the Lord and the things we've done for Christ. Uh, And I think of that plaque that I I talk about. I used to have hanging up in the back of the free church where I attended when I was a young Christian. Uh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And uh, and that's what this verse reminds me of. So I think it can accurately be said that anything short of hope in Christ and the things of God is a hope deferred that makes the heart sick. I think about my heart before I became a Christian, before Jesus found me. And I remember I was a young man, and uh, I was trying to find happiness just anywhere I could find it, but I just couldn't find it. Anywhere I, I went, I couldn't find it. As I've said recently in my te- uh, given my testimony that I'm so glad I couldn't. I'm so glad God didn't let me find it. Because I see some young people, and 
uh, some of these young celebrities that you know that that you see that got rich quick uh, uh, they became celebrities overnight and and, uh, and they, it seems like they got everything they ever wanted in life overnight and and I feel sorry for them I really do but God denied me all my earthly dreams before I became a Christian and that kind of that helped me I remember when I was when I was uh, 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 considering the gospel as the man was giving the gospel and I was thinking, well, you haven't done so great with your life now, have you, Al? You know? Why don't you just give it to the Lord and let the Lord take care of it? And, you know, what I found when I found Christ that all my all my desires were fulfilled. You know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of the woman at the well. As Jesus said, said, I have water. That if you drink of this water that I shall give you, you shall never thirst again. And that's, and that's what I found when I found the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that, that you, 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 you that know the Lord can say the same thing. That's the real fulfillment of desire. It says, it says, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And all the desires that really matter to us, that, can really, that are really truly fulfilling, they come from Christ. They come from they come from things uh, having to do with Christ and the gospel, and I and uh, it says hope deferred makes the heart sick, and I see it in people every day. I see it in people, uh, uh, worldly people. I see it at, at work. I see it at the rescue mission. I see it. I see it everywhere, and you do too. There's a heart sickness in the lost that they, they cannot cure. They keep looking for one more worldly thing that they hope will fulfill their desire or their hope for happiness. But everything they try ends in disappointment, just as it did for me before I came to Christ. You know, my insurance agent was telling me that one of the biggest expenses in our group program is the use of psychotropic drugs, legitimate use of psychotropic drugs. You know, more people... Than, than you can think of. Use these to cope with depression and anxiety. People that you would think are just normal people. And they're on these psychotropic drugs. And, uh, and uh, they don't have God as their refuge. And so they need to take refuge in something. And so they take their refuge in drugs and alcohol uh, and many other things. Uh, and, and, and nowadays, many of these drugs that are legally prescribed by their doctors they have to have them just to cope from day to day. And uh, I'm not saying it's, it's a sin to take them. I'm not saying that uh, there aren't times when it's legitimate even for a Christian to take them under periods of severe stress or other reasons. God has, uh, I have seen situations where it's important for people to have these drugs. And I'm glad they have them. But when I see just normal people, normal, normal workaday people that are just living their lives from day to day, no great traumas in their life to speak of, but they can't live without these psychotropic drugs. Why is this? Why is this an epidemic? Why does my insurance plan pay so much for these things? Um, and uh, it's because they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can't. They can't. They haven't learned to cope with life and trust the Lord from day to day. And don't you, as a Christian, don't you have to daily lay your burdens down at the cross? What would you do if you didn't have the cross to lay them down at? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be hard for you? It'd be hard for me. Every day when I face, you know, what I have to face in life, I gain my strength 
at the foot of the cross. And I ask the Lord to give me the strength to do what I need to do. And I'm sure that you do too. But isn't that better than a psychotropic drug? It is. It really is. And if, if more people did that, there'd be less of these drugs that would be necessary to be used. So it's sad are the deferred hopes of the lost. But Jesus told this Samaritan woman about this living water that if she drinks of it, that she would never be thirsty again. And she, she drank that water and she found it to be true. And millions and billions have drunk of it since then and have found that that, that that fulfillment of desire in Christ is a tree of life. It is a tree of life. And if you're a Christian, and if you're walking closely with God, as you should, you should glory in what you have in Christ. Even as we talked about that hymn that we sang early, early on in the service, uh, uh, how, how we ought to glory in what Christ has done for us. Uh, how we ought to thank him for the grace that he's given us. We have a Savior that's ready to give us grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly to that throne at any time. He's bidden us to do so. And you have the Holy Spirit whose office it is to be our comforter and our guide. And the fulfillment of these spiritual desires is the thing that can never be taken away from us. And, uh, uh, oh, uh, we have so much more than the world has, don't we? Uh, we have a treasure to enjoy at any time, in all circumstances, and all we need to do is apply at the mercy seat for it, and it will be abundantly given to us. So we can drink of those waters that Christ has poured out for us on the cross. Um, now, the truth is that the Christian does have a hope that is unfulfilled, we look longingly for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do have to suffer for a while here. It's true. But we don't suffer without hope. Because our hope will come as surely as the sun will rise in the morning. Jesus Christ will return. Um, our hope is not a hope so hope. But it's a, it's a hope. It's an expectant hope. For he will come. I love what Charles Bridges says here. He says, the first moment of the glorious manifestation, what he means is the return of Christ, will blot out the remembrance of all toils, weariness, and trial. Yes, the desire cometh. Come it will at God's best time, quickly. One moment sick, the next the inhabitant of that land where sickness is no more. In the twinkling of an eye, arrayed in the glory of the Savior's image. <clears throat> and he says, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's, that's our hope. So that's my challenge to you. Does everyone here tonight have that tree of life, that, that fulfillment of desire in Christ, which is a tree of life? And if you don't, um, you can have it because he's offered it freely for all that will take it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And not just to save us, but he came to set us free. And he said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And, uh, and, there's, and, and we, ought to be, we ought to be people with joy, people with hope. I'm going to talk about that Sunday morning. It's going to be a, a sermon talking about the joy 
that we ought to have in our salvation. And uh, and so, uh, uh, is the world going to ever satisfy our innermost spiritual desires? Never, 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 never. It can't. But Christ does. So let's glory in that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.